Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of Expertise is Overrated, the podcast that takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know you didn't want the answers to. I'm Vib. And I'm Sean, and neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Yeah, stunned silence, that's about right. I was say, ex- <laughs> exemplified by the fact that I don't really know how to segue into the episode here. Uh, well, it's because I unhelpfully in our quote-unquote script wrote tinfoil question mark, um, yeah, but we've not recorded for what, some time, so genuinely I don't think there is any. <laughs> that's that's what's completely thrown me. Um, most recently we recorded our Does, Do Tabletop Roleplaying Games Need Dungeons & Dragons episode? Which yeah, which I, I think was one of our more, yeah. like, what's the what's the word for it? Not less funny, but... Sober. Yeah, one of our more sober episodes, that's right. That's right. Sometimes we, we do... Or, consider, or considered, perhaps. <laughs> it's very unlike us, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't... And this is episode, what is it, 48? So in two episodes' time... Oh, fuck, I know, I've just remembered what we're talking about in two episodes' time. We've gone completely off the deep end. Can we do preemptive tinfoil? Uh, why? Just for the absolute insanity of the title that we've picked for the fiftieth episode. Oh yeah, it's something stupid, isn't it? Oh yes. Should we should we give a little bit of sizzle or should we keep it? It's it's video game related and it sounds like a paper that could have come out of Oxford Brooks University. I think you're giving them way too much credit there. Well, no, if you know, think about it, think about it, because the, the title is wildly overcomplicated and magniloquent. Well, actually, the yeah, but magniloquence is... and Brooks are not things that go together. <laughs> no, I think I think they go hand in hand. It's the distinction between magniloquence and loquaciousness. No, no, no. And no, and no, we're just showing off. <laughs> they, they, they don't have the vocab to be magniloquent. That's the issue. <laughs> you don't know this what magniloquent be. means. You can't be magniloquent. I was going to say, this must be the most times that anyone has ever said the <laughs> word magniloquent in a podcast about books, TV, and video games. My God, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of us. Look, we're not going to set any records that are meaningful, so why don't we go for records that are <laughs> complete Someone bullshit? Phone Guinness Book of Records. Someone phone the Guinness Book of Records. We've got a new one. Yeah, magniloquence, yeah. Obviously, one of the most ironic words ever. Um, anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Sizzle for episode no. fifty, though. Um, it's going to be a good one, I think. I hope. Mm, maybe. Mm. Um, it's going to be not, something. It's going to be something. Yeah, we're not quite there yet. I mean, it. The reason that the tinfoil question mark threw us so much, I think, is because it's been a while since we recorded, uh, and that's that's largely my fault, um, as is often the case. Because um, well, I've just moved, so. Yeah, congratulations you know, that, on the move. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that that did sort of take a lot more time and stress than than you always think, right? Like it's moving is just such a pain in the ass. But yeah, it's, an it's done now. Nightmare. Yeah, I mean, we moved and created, I think, the biggest gap in our recording history when when we moved house. But I'm I'm never doing it again. This is it. I just live in this house for the rest of my life now. Yeah, whereas I. I mean, I like the current flat I'm in, but it is very small. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know about um, the longevity of this particular move. But yeah, I mean, it's funny that mentioned Oxford Brooks, given that that's not a million miles away from where I am now. So Yeah, they're just next door now, aren't they? 
Um, yeah, pretty much. Complete diversion. My sister got really, really annoyed with one of her friends when they they started going around saying that their brother went to so the friend that is not my sister went to Brooks College, Oxford. Man, nice. That's such a classic line. <laughs> Which was so good. And my sister phoned me up and was like, oh, "Is there a Brooks College?" I was like, "No, it's like a it's like Oxford Polytechnic." She's like, "I knew it. I knew he didn't get into Oxford." <laughs> Yes, the old polytechnic that is now a full-fledged university. Yeah. Anyway, this is wildly off course. I feel like we don't want to do this episode because we're both scared of it. We are very scared of it. Well, it's it's been a source of clash for the two of us in the past, which makes it interesting. But we haven't. I feel we haven't talked about this for some time, so maybe we're just a bit rusty and frayed. <laughs> Dresden is always so difficult for us to deal with because the book series is ridiculously long and unfinished and at the same time like each of the books is so jam-packed full of what feel like extraneous details until six books later when they become relevant yes and yeah I, I just... and, and, and I think before we started recording you said to me is like oh you know you, you you've completed a reread more recently um which is technically true but i I reread all of them up until the last two and that was already months ago and then i read the last two um and even even in reading those last two you think oh my goodness there's shit that's happened here that i just i already don't remember (laughs) because it happened like 30 books ago obviously 30 but you know what i mean it's it's almost like dark library um dark no black library black library yeah it's except the loose plot threads actually get tied up rather than just getting left out to bake in the sun. Well, yes, because, you know, there's actual competent writing. Um, yeah. I, I look this up. Dan Abnett is a, is a New York Times best-selling author. This was a debate that we were having for anyone who's not party to mine and Fib's one-to-one Discord conversations. We were having a debate. I called Dan Abnett, the Black Library author, a New York Times bestseller. And you, you rightly challenged me and said, surely not. And I agreed that surely not. Prospero Burns was on the New York Times bestsellers list. No way. So an actual Black, Black. Library book that he wrote. Because he, he does um, like graphic novels as well, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. no, it wasn't wasn't Red Sonja. An actual Black Library book made it My to goodness. the New York Times bestseller list. If ever there was proof of America, uh, you know, I'm actually not going to go there. <laughs> we can we can uh, extrapolate that one. Anyway, you can take that sentence wherever you like. <laughs> exactly, uh, I've got plausible deniability. Anyway, but yes, we are talking about the Dresden Files. We are um, specifically Gentleman Johnny Marcone, 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 surely Marconi. Yeah, I mean <laughs> Johnny Marconi. Marconi. Well, this, you, you say so. This is how um, James Marsters actually started off pronouncing his name, John Marconi. I th- mm-hmm. Something like that. Like he, he tried to Italianize it, really. Uh, and then apparently a butcher sort of said to him, Oh, actually, you know, it's, it's supposed to be Marcone. And then since then, it's just been Marcone. This guy is not going to, he's going to be in these books too often for you to call him Johnny Marconi. 
<laughs> well, like I said, it just sounds really stupid, doesn't it? Like you, you instantly can't take him very serious, which no. is a shame because he's a very serious character. You know, someone to be taken seriously. <coughs> yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll let you die first, you know, and then then we can move on. No, I I've just realised what's going on here. My webcam is recording me. This will be fine. This will be absolutely fine. Your webcam's recording you. My my webcam has a microphone in it, and I didn't check the settings, so. There we are. Whereas in the microphone that you're using up until now was... Currently, and I'm not going to try and change it, no. The microphone that is currently recording me is the microphone in my webcam, not the microphone, not the foot-tall uh, audio recording microphone that I was That's talking really to. That's really funny. That's really funny. But before this... Um... Just to, again, you know, just to highlight just how pro we actually are after dedicating or, or deciding that season two of our podcast was going to be super professional. Uh, we just dropped an episode where Sean's sound is is kind of rubbish. And I remarked at the start of this particular recording session that you sounded a lot better. And it turns out that your webcam microphone is better than your actual microphone. This is wildly frustrating, specifically because... I did some testing of my actual recording microphone before we joined this call, and I got it all fixed. Like my sound on my actual recording microphone was way better. Ah, do you want to try? Do, anyway, do you want to try switching mid-episode? Let's let's see how I this goes. Think, I don't think you can on Zencaster. I think I'd have to disconnect and reconnect, and I'm not doing that. That's really funny. Uh, You're such a pro uh, podcaster. (laughs) And this is all getting left in, of course. Of course it's all getting left in. This is great content. It definitively proves that I, Vib, am the superior host. It proves that you can, like, read when it tells you what microphone it's going to record with. That's for sure. Actually saying that, I I hope that it's recording my normal microphone. I mean, let me now just check. This is what you tuned in for, folks. It sounds like I don't even know how you check. I click the little green tick. Yeah, I'm afraid of doing that. That's the issue. Uh, yeah, my default microphone is, of course, my uh, Blue Yeti because I'm not a moron. I don't. I th- I keep changing it, and Windows 11 keeps changing yeah. it. Back. Anyway, 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 anyway. This is that's really fun. funny. That's really really funny. Uh, yeah. So welcome to Expertise is Overrated, folks, where we take our name very seriously. Um, yeah, I'm just living. I'm just living the EIO dream. That's what it is. <laughs> anyway, well, this, I'm not going to be, this has been this has been I'm a not, really wild start to an episode. <laughs> we're ten minutes in. God's sake! Even by our standards, this is bad. It, it's fortunate that I'm not going to be doing much talking this episode because, much like last oh. episode, we decided to do a a call and response style where you ask me questions. Given that you've most recently done the reread that's what we're going to do again except i'm going to ask you the questions and you're going to answer them with poise erudition and tact and magniloquence and of course and, and, and magniloquence and then when <laughs> i get really irritated that you're answering the questions wrong probably in about 10 minutes time i'm just going to wade in and start yelling at you that sounds about right and, answering my own questions and completely abandoning any semblance of the Socratic method, which would be great. Ah, you just had to get the Socratic method in there, didn't you? I did, I did. I said magniloquent it. twat. Stop saying magniloquent, it's getting annoying. No. 
<laughs> anyway, let's actually start what we're here to talk about. <laughs> who, who is Gentleman Johnny Marcone and why is he relevant to the Dresden Files? Well, John Marcone has short salt and pepper hair, sun hardened smile lines, and green eyes the colour of all dollar bills. Um, he loves that. Yes, I am reading the wiki. He? <laughs> he loves that description. Green eyes, the colour of all dollar bills. But it's it, it's a really good description for for a number of ways, and I think we'll we'll, we'll come on to it. Um, but I love that 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 is the opening line to the wiki because it it tells you vir- virtually nothing uh, other than the colour of his eyes. Um, but yeah, he is uh, again as as Harry Dresden keeps referring to him. He's the, he's the robber baron of Chicago. He's like the underworld. Well, I actually can't use the word underworld because that has a very different meaning in Dresden. The the criminal, the organised crime overlord of chicago um he's essentially the mob because you know if you're going to set a story in chicago you have to include the mob and that makes sense uh, yeah. and he generally has been styled baron or has been granted the title of baron by someone i assume mab for reasons that are completely unclear to anyone um yeah so he, he's the criminal mastermind he, he sort of runs chicago i think he styles himself as the you know Baron Chicago, the, the person who, who runs Chicago, the person who is in charge and ultimately has all decision rights. Uh, so much so that he is a member of the Unseelie Accords as, you know, <laughs> head of Chicago, which is all kinds of weird. It's so um, confusing. It is very confusing. And is that ever actually explained? It's just from one moment to the next, like he gets Harry, ironically, to sign the paperwork. Harry then, signs the paperwork. Mab and Vaderon are his sponsors, I think. No, I, th- I think that Va- Vaderon and, and Harry are the sponsors, right? Oh, but Harry, Harry can't. Isn't Harry the witness to the signature? No, no, because I think the irony of it all is that the Marconi system in signing because it's just so stupid, right? <laughs> But that, but if Harry's signing, that's Harry on behalf of the White Council, because Harry is. Yes. Uh, so the White Council sponsor him onto the Accords. Yeah. I might be Why? completely misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure that that was that was all part of the idea, right? Was that Why? he gets backed by? Uh, um. Yeah. So, hang on. Vaderung definitely. Uh, Dresden enlists Marcone's help during the Battle of Wraith Deeps. Yeah, so you know to help to help out the White Court of Vampires. Yeah. This is some great shit. In exchange for a seat at the table, that was it, right? So with Dresden's endorsement, Marcone becomes the first normal human freeholding lord of the Assyria Accords. Uh, his three required so, signatures come from Harry as a representative of the White Council, Lara Wraith on behalf of her father, the White King, and Donna Vaderung. So it's, he is endorsed Harry by the White Council. Harry does not have that authority. Well, he's a warden at that point. Is he a warden at that he point? He is a warden at that point, yes. Him and Ramirez rock up at the right Yeah, 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 that's wardens. right, yeah. Great yeah, so I think, and, and as the warden for, like, Chicago and, and surrounding area of the US, I'm sure that he has enough of a... It feels like that should take a senior councilman. To endorse someone onto the <sighs> courts—that's yeah. that's foreign policy. 
Yeah, maybe. That's the equivalent of... Nearly got very political there. Not going to go. It's the equivalent of Pretty Patel flying out to Israel to conduct backbench diplomacy. That's not on. You get sacked from the cabinet for doing that until the cabinet remembers that there's no one competent at all and rehires you as, into a promotion. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, uh, yes. Anyway. Um, uh, well, uh, yeah, but the wardens do have uh, an element of power, right? The, the wardens do. They're, they're sort of policy makers for their own but it, domains, well, aren't they? Yeah. But I also vaguely have this notion that it was sort of vetted by more senior White Council members. I feel like... I mean, Marcone's not an idiot, first of all, right? No, he's not. He's he's very smart. I feel like Ebb probably nods it through. Yeah, because he's not going to get Harry Dresden, whom I think isn't... It's not a secret that he doesn't really get on with the White Council. Like, Marcone would surely know that. So I think he would have made sure that the signature actually carried weight. Yeah. I think. But yeah, so anyway, so he's he's, he's assigned... What's that? Sorry, I was just saying, Harry must have made a phone call or something. Ah, yes. I think think he does. I think he does actually. I think he speaks to Ab. Maybe. It's entirely possible, yeah. Anyway, how... (sighs) The specifics are sort of irrelevant. Marcon, as you say, is a freeholding lord under the Accords, whatever that means. But he well, also before, just a gangster, isn't he? He he he's just a gangster, but equally he gets, you know, the, the effective leader of the White Court and Odin <laughs> himself, yeah, to sign him into into the Ancelia Courts. Like that's pretty that's pretty punchy, and. And, and we're assuming that he just, at that stage, knows that Faderung is Odin. Um. Because we've well, that, not that's... met Faderung at that stage. Uh, no, we have, haven't we? Oh. I can't remember when we first meet Faderung. Changes. Because White Knight is only f- the fifth book? It's Changes, we first meet Odin, isn't it? No. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it is when we first meet Odin, but I guess we have met Guard before then, right? Because she's met Guard before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess we know who Donna Vadrung is through Guard as, as the CEO of Monarch Securities. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But we don't. You don't make the leap that Vadrung is Odin no. until later. But after, I the think fact, Harry, I guess, Harry I guess might do, but we don't, and you don't. Anyway. But, but yeah, I mean, this, that's, this that's leads still... us on into like a the first kind of odd thing about Marco, right? Because even even four or five books in, when he is a vanilla mortal human, I mean, yeah, he's a gangster, as you say, but he he does have an unbelievable knowledge of the supernatural world. You, like see he, it. He... you sort of see it as early as full moon, don't you? So he, that's he, well, he when Harry comes trap. bursting into that door. <laughs> yeah, Harry, Harry blows his way through through the door, which is quite funny. Um, but he also, he lays the trap for, uh, what's, Harley McFinn? Yeah. The, the most Irish the American yeah. ever. The Lugaloo, exactly. 
and he um, he sort of seems vaguely prepared for a genuine werewolf, doesn't he? Yes. I mean, not, and he obviously hires someone from Monarch Securities as well, and I'm sure he knows that that's like a Valkyrie thing. Yeah, because he doesn't just hire an Einherjarn or an Einherjar. He hires Guard. You feel like that's going to be an extra level of, of cash, right? And he just has her on retainer for like 20 bucks. The whole series, 15. yeah. And, yeah. and then he adds a whole contingent of Einherjar to, to it as well. Including the fantastic line in Peace Talks where he just turns to Odin and says, I'd like to hire them all for one night, please. And Odin's just like, yeah, fine, no worries. I'll take your money for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, character. and Marconi, like, he grows and grows and grows from strength to strength. I mean, he ultimately he is does. the one who hosts the peace talks that go so horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, he he founds the Better Future Society, which is the group of sort of essentially the extension of the Paranet that keeps Chicago safe. While Harry's Better a ghost. or brighter? Doesn't really matter. Brighter, brighter BFS, future, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, so I mean, in terms of uh, in terms of the non-mortal population and the coordinations, Marcone is. Chicago, like it's his territory. It's the same as yeah. going to Arctis Tor and and you know knowing that that's Mab's house. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, he, he he's one of a very very small number of individuals who sign the accords, as opposed to quote unquote nations, isn't he? Yeah, it's like him, Pharaoh, Dracul, people like that. That's an insane le- peerage level. It, it is, yeah. It, For it really, really a guy is. who's just a fifty-year-old bloke. Ah, uh, well, it's those eyes, color of old dollar bills. Those, those eyes, the color of old dollar bills. But no, what what I mean is, if you take the other sort of the accorded nations, so Laura Wraith or or Papa Wraith, Etri, the Ghouls, the Lachaise Clan, or whatever they're called, Mab, Titania, Vadarung even and and indeed Pharaoh and Drapple, right? These are these are immortals with a capital I. These are people whose plans are on mm, well hundreds of years or or maybe Lara <sighs> Wraith isn't, but she's she's Etruscan, right? Like these are yeah, ancient but, beings. But I think that's not necessarily about the Beings themselves, right? Because they're they're essentially signatories as the White Court. Um, no, but my my point is, right? So these are nations and institutions that operate over unfathomably long timescales, and over the course of a single mortal lifespan, John Marcone is able to build sufficient power. Essentially, we're told from scratch to be seen yep. as their peer. And yeah, not well, just their uh, peer, like held in such respect that he, as you say, holds the peace talks between all of the accorded nations and the four more. I, 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 the, the power growth is exponential. It's unbelievable. The, the, there's two things there, I think. So one is obviously that he, I mean, he is a gangster, so he's, he's the 
premier mob boss in Chicago, right? So he's building on decades and decades of mob expansion. Um, at least. And yes, fine, he, he's he's got the top spot, no, no denying that, um, but I think that's a lot of power that's undeniable. And the second thing that I think is really important there is I, I think it really hints at something that, that up until I think Battleground isn't ever really mentioned out loud, other than by Harry himself, and that is that all these supernatural powers are <laughs> mortally afraid of mortals. Um, and and yeah. I think bringing someone like Marcone into the fold is a sign of that because he's he's seen as someone who's in charge of a big mortal enterprise, but is clued in with the supernatural world and is willing to work with them and isn't afraid of it. Um, and I yeah. think his his shall we say not sparkly clean record is probably something that facilitates that for him. I think that makes sense. I think you're right, you do see it massively in Battleground and it's sort of sprinkled throughout. But yeah, the idea of a mortal who is able to control the mortals, as he is apparently capable, is probably very attractive to people like Lara, maybe less so someone like Mab, right? Because Mab's just like, give a shit, I live in the Never Never. Mortals be damned. But but Lara and, and the ghouls and the reds until they get harried. All well, have to you... all have to live among mortals. Yeah, and, and you say that about Mab, but I think she's she's one who mentioned the men in black with some air of trepidation. The the Library of Congress people. Yeah. Whatever they're and, called. And, and, yeah, and... That's <laughs> And having just said that I reread that not that long ago, I can't actually remember how Marcone reacts to that. Like I can't remember if he really knows I don't think he who does. They are. I think, that's I think he was he's a bit still... surprised, right? I was like, who who's who is this we're talking about? He's still something of a junior party in that sense, in, in the knowledge sense, right? And and as as Ivy shows us, as the Arco shows us, knowledge is power. So I think he's still building that knowledge base, building that power yeah. base. But what he does show time and time and time again is the pace of his knowledge growth is incredibly rapid and his adaptability is essentially second to none. He never tries the same gambit twice. The moment he tries something and it fails, he switches to plan B, C, D. He's always thinking, always planning, always changing, which is one of the things that makes him so powerful and from Harry's perspective, so, so dangerous. Yeah, and I mean, if nothing else, he's also just the banker to the supernatural, which, I mean... That's also true. <clears throat> That's also very true, which makes which puts him in an incredibly powerful and enviable position. The big question, though, of course, is, is he actually just a, a puppet, or is that what the supernatural think of him? Well, who, who's, who's playing whom? Right, is Marcone just yeah. running a massive shell game? Or is he being played by the supernatural community? Or, and I think this is probably true, but I could be curious what you think, do they think he's playing... No, do they think they're playing him while actually he's playing them? I think yeah. it's that. Yeah. 
but it's it's really hard to tell because I mean, there's, there's so many so many plots and subterfuge and, and so much shit going on. It's it's really really hard to know. But it's the same like with any gangster, right? Like obviously Chicago PD knows who John Marcone is, um, but yet yeah, he's obviously a free man, <laughs> so he's he's quite good at running a racket. But uh, and I suppose that's what he's doing in the supernatural world as well because fundamentally it probably works in a very similar way now where i think it becomes yeah sorry go on i was gonna say there's coming back to chicago pd and i think feel like we'll probably later on in the episode spend quite a lot of time here there's definitely a sense that they're not trying that hard to catch him and not just because chicago pd is famously corrupt no it's because John Marcone is a very important character to have around, but we'll get on to that. <laughs> that's, that's that's the debate, I think. That is the it? debate that's that we're going to have, yes. Yes, yes, because you don't Before know we what get the real there, world is like. How, um, how does he interface with people like Harry? Right? What's his relationship no, with I, Harry like? Before we get on to that, because I don't care about your questioning anyway, the, the shit questions. Oh, fair enough. Right. I was trying, trying <laughs> valiantly to come back to our, our structure. I know, I was, I was just thinking that. Uh, no, but before we move on to that, I think the, the one point I want to make is his, his, his remit or the way he fits in with the Accords. Originally, yes, you'd think, is he just being played because he's a mortal puppet? Is he trying to play others? Whatever. Now that he is in fact not just Gentleman Johnny Marcone, but also Thornard Namshiel, spoilers, yes. um, that adds a whole layer of complexity. Not just because that's obviously, you know, Knight of the Black and Denarius, but also because Thornard Namshiel is the one who attacked Arctis Tor with or without Mab's consent. <laughs> it's so unclear. I like my time traveling Harry theory for that one. Yeah, the, the slight weirdness about it is that Mab didn't know Namshiel and Marcone were working together until Harry told her. Yes, true. Which is really weird to me. <laughs> a, that Mab wouldn't have realized. Like, like, I don't know, I always picture the Knights of the Black and Norris as having quite a, a big supernatural presence when they enter a room. But clearly they don't, or they're able to hide it somehow. I think they're able to hide it. I think they can mask it. Yeah, well, especially guys and Namshu himself. But yeah, I just find Namshu that quite strange. in particular. Yeah, I think. Um, Andoriel like, maybe less. Even, um, yeah, well, Andoriel's a shadow, so maybe that's even more likely to happen. Oh, fair. But even, um, what's her name? Ethnew didn't like clock onto it until it was quite obvious. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so so I think that's that that's so a weird. whole other level to this to this thing that maybe also feeds the the argument that we've had previously. You know, Mab and Thornamshire, what's going on there? Like, clearly, their communication there's isn't as open to as we that think. Story. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think that's that's very interesting. Mark Owen's a very very interesting character. Um, but yes, let's get back to your questions, which I've <sighs> answered so concisely so far. Yeah, so half an hour after the asking the first of our eight questions. So 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 how would you characterize Marcone and Dresden's relationship? Uh yeah. 
it's really hard to characterize it. Like it's it's sometimes like shit buddy cop comedy. Yeah. Um other times it is just one's the hero, one's the antagonist. I guess one's the agonist, one's the antagonist. Uh to use terms. Is the word. Protagonist is the uh, word you're looking for. We're talking pharmacology now, not not literature. Are we? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and yeah, so so maybe that does lead on to the bigger question: is is John Marcone the villain, the antagonist, or a big antagonist in the Dresden Files? I think he's Harry's alter ego. Hmm. He's he's Harry. If Harry was willing to make the deal, cross the line, look at the big picture. I think. Um, no, I, I don't think they're that opposed. They're not diametrically opposed because Harry makes the same no, decisions no, that, that Marconi makes as well. They're he just, not. They're he's not just, opposed. <sighs> Harry's like Marconi, just twenty years younger. That, but that's not true because we see Marcone twenty years younger, and he's just another. He's just a gangster. Yeah, no, yeah, but no, I'm, I'm not saying that Marcone is is progressing at the same rate. I'm saying that we're seeing Harry progress slowly but surely to a slightly darker version, and of himself. It, it sort of feels like he's heading towards where John Marcone is. So you know, at, at what point do the means no longer justify the end? And I think for John Marcone is, is is the point <laughs> is the point actually that Harry and Marcone start out at opposite ends of the spectrum and work towards each other, and where we see them now, neither is on the end of their journey. Maybe because I guess Marcone also does harbor innocent civilians during the battle, right? Which is a sort yeah, of but he has to be growth. talked into it. He does have to be talked Harry. into it. Yeah, and obviously he sees that as a as a business transaction of sorts. Uh, are they just hurtling towards each other? I, I don't know. I feel like Harry is moving more than Marcone. I think Harry is moving more than Marcone. I think that's probably true. Something we have to consider is is of course that you know the way the Dresden Files starts out as a sort of noir detective thing you have a private detective and you have the mobster antagonist well, i was, I was going to say how familiar are you with ian rankin's john rebus novels not at all <sighs> i think i have read some rankin but it's such a good analogy for you to not know who i'm talking about uh so there there, there is a, a recurring character antagonistic character in the rebus novels who is big jar or morris gerald cafferty right and he is essentially the john marcone of edinburgh but 30 years later so he was the apex and then he's sort of just fading away to let the new wave of organized crime take over so he just goes, I'm done with this. Someone else pick up the reins, essentially. He's still in the game a little bit. But he and, he and John Rebus, who is a, an American, an American, an Ed, Edinburghian uh, police officer, 
are essentially circling each other for 20 years for their entire careers, basically. And they develop a sort of mutual respect and working relationship while also being completely diametrically opposed in their worldviews. And I think that's where Dresden and Marcone start, where obviously they don't have that working relationship that Rebus and Cafferty have, but they have this like, sort of... No, I just don't think it's as simple as that, because... Again, I think Marcone sometimes acts as, acts as a contextualizer for, for Harry, right? Because it's very easy to hate Marcone and be like, oh, you know, you have people killed and you yeah. thrive on suffering and misery and blah, 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 blah. But then, A, they work together quite a lot. And I think they've got a very similar sort of style about them at times. And, and B, Harry just being able to say that, I think sometimes distracts from the fact that he's doing all those things as well. And it gives him a little bit of a break from thinking about it. Like he kills people and he he does he does awful things some of the time. Um but but where Harry seems to act quite often just purely on emotion and how do I get from A to B? You really yeah. do get the sense that Marcone is thinking about how to get to Z. And, you know, some of the some of the you know stones you have to pave, you know. It's used to pave the way. Yeah, he, I think he switched off that sort of thinking in himself of like, oh, you know, if if I have to kill a hundred people now to save a thousand, although we'll get we'll hasn't. get onto what his motivation is because that's entirely unclear to me. He hasn't. Um, whereas Harry just doesn't think about himself. that. He doesn't think that far. He hasn't switched off that part of himself because think about Persephone. Y- yeah, but this is this is an age old issue with this sort of line of thinking, right? It's a bit like that that um, tram dilemma, you know. Mm. Do you do you actually kill the person you know, or do you kill five on you know five strangers? Um, and Marcone, I think that number is incredibly high, right? He would kill twenty thousand strangers to save Persephone. But yes, I think that's true. So if you've managed to get forty minutes into an episode and don't know what we're talking about, one, I'm yeah, impressed. join the club. <laughs> um, this this is basically a shout out to Proselus, who I know listens to every single one of our episodes while not knowing anything about anything we're talking about. So shout out to you! Oh wow, well done. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. He drives for a living, and so just listens to anything and anything he can get his hands on, and has worked his way through our back catalogue while not no- uh-huh. having never, as far as I'm aware, never having read Addressing Files. But if if you have, I apologize. But Specifically for you, Persephone is a character from John Marcone's backstory, and is essentially. And you're going to have to help me out here. He's she's a, a a young girl who was no, she's not. She was a teenager. She's a teenager who was, as a young girl, caught in a crossfire between Marcone and a rival gang. And was put in a coma, and Marcone yeah. essentially is searching for a way to cure her. Yes. Basically. Because uh, he feels guilt at the fact that she's in a coma uh, correctly because of him. Yeah, but I can't remember. Isn't there more to it than she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time? <clears throat> 
No, so Helen Beckett. Yeah, Helen slash Amanda Beckett or whatever her name is. Helen Beckett slash Amanda slash Miss Demeter, which is where the name Persephone comes from, ends up working for Marcone. But that's after her daughter gets put in a coma and it's all very complicated and she starts out trying to kill him, right? She's part of Victor Sells in the first book. Like Cabal with the aim of trying to get Marcone, get revenge on Marcone, I think. So I, I think she is just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then Helen Beckett's story evolves from there and gets more complicated from there. But I could be very wrong. Yeah, I'm trying to refresh my memory now. So, so yeah, Helen Beckett is Demeter, Miss Demeter. Yes. Amanda Beckett is her daughter. Persephone. And Amanda, uh, yeah, so she's she's Persephone, right? So she's the one who took a bullet. Yeah. Mm. It's so confusing. Because what's the guilt that Marcone feels? That a child was put in a coma as a result of his illegal activity. Mm, yeah, but... And he, and he But the Beckett's tried there. to sue him. Right? Yeah. For wrongfully putting their daughter in a coma. Yeah, but so so where's you know, how's how's Mark Owen's guilt manifesting? <laughs> well he has he has to rebut the lawsuit to stay out of well, not to stay out of jail. Doesn't he but he also pays for her medical care. Yeah, it's very confusing. He's So so it's about it's about public versus private. So in public he has to rebut the accusation that her condition is anything to do with him, which is why he fights and wins the lawsuit. But he then goes on to pay for her medical care because in private he knows it's his fault. Does he? I don't I don't know. We don't spend any time in his head to find out. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 weird, right? Because it's so yeah, he's got a thing with kids for sure. We we need to speed up, though. I think possibly. Yeah, no. This this is another one. <laughs> like so often happens when we talk Dresden. There's just so many unknowns that that we get we get sucked away. But I think let's let's move on to the ugly, the most interesting point here. Is he necessary? Is he necessary? Well, yes, he is necessary. Is he necessary to the plot? Yes, I think he is. Is the existence of John Marcone a necessary evil that we in the real world should put up with? No, absolutely not. As, yeah, I think that that's a better way of framing it, right? Do well. Let, let's not argue about the real world. <laughs> okay, all right. No, in in, in, let's not in the universe the of Dresden. <laughs> Is Harry Dresden, Dresden right? Is Harry Dresden right that John Marcone is equivalently evil and should not be tolerated? No. Y- yes. No, <laughs> Easy. absolutely not. Done. <sighs> no, but think of the consequences. If you get rid of John Marcone, you just get a power vacuum and you get 
20 heinous individuals taking over. The, the, the beauty of Marcone has always been that you can reason with him. It's no, a bit like having a mab in charge, right? She, no, she will kill a thousand people easily, but she does it with a logic. And I, and I feel the same is true of Marcone. He, he doesn't just do shit. He, he thinks about it and does whatever is logical. No, but if you... Logically... I mean, yes, we can all live in your fantasy world where everyone is good, but you know that's just not reality. Even Don't in fictional universe. I'm sorry. <laughs> like fun- fundamentally, yes, I have a view of the world which requires people to act in their own and everyone else's best interests in order for the world to be a good place. But at the same time, that's the world that I want to live in, and I want people to work to build that oh, world. Oh, grow up, you idiot no i refuse to no it's the world i want to live in yeah sure i'd also love to be able to fly my word one of my things is possible no it's not no that's that's a complete logical infallacy fallacy in what was yeah (laughs) (laughs) you've got me so fucking angry i can't even you've gone from zero to a hundred in like Three seconds, my god. I was also going to look something up and I'm so angry I can't even think what it was anymore. <laughs> no, so you're, no, but this, this, you're... this bizarre romantic idea that you that you can't, that you have to have ultimate justice. Well, I can't even speak anymore. My goodness, what have you done to me? Um, no. <laughs> I'm genuinely Let's go back with shocked this is... at how angry you've got so quickly. Ah, uh, yeah. Let me, let, I'm trying to find a quote. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to find. Yeah. Right. So you're. Yeah. So the the, anal- the analogy I was going to go for is that you're you're essentially trying to be Geralt here, aren't you? You know, evil is evil. Lesser, greater, middling. It's all the same. If I have to choose between one evil and another, then I prefer to not choose at all. That's that's choice, that's your view between, here. The choice between the seeking to choose the lesser of two evils is still choosing evil and when presented with a choice between two evils and asked to choose the lesser there is always a third choice which is right, not which, al- which, which is, is not not choosing because whenever you're presented with only two presenting some sorry I, I need to get this i need to get this statement right asking someone to choose the lesser of two evils is nearly always a false choice because there is nearly always a third choice that is not offered yeah, sure, but okay. So apply that to to here. Then, what is your alternative to having someone like John Marcon in charge of the criminal underworld of Chicago? Not having a criminal underworld because the police in Chicago aren't fucking yeah, but, corrupt. But you can't fuck. That's not a choice. <laughs> you can't that just well magic away the underworld. <laughs> you can slowly and over time, and you can accept that John Marcone. No, but you can't because what happens what tail. happens if you take John Marcone, right? The self-styled baron who essentially keeps the entire supernatural world in check in Chicago to a point. You take him out of the equation and everything's just free game. He's 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 not doing that at the start of the book. So he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to get there by everyone turning a blind eye. You mean everyone turning a blind eye? What keep what keeps the supernatural community in Chicago in check before John Marcone? 
well, one presumes the White Council, but they essentially have stopped doing anything useful. <laughs> well, exactly. That's, that's a whole separate debate. No, but so, so why doesn't Harry just step, step in and say, you know what, I've had enough of you. Boom, fuego. Because that would be illegal and also wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Killing John Marcone. Killing John Marcone. Okay, fine. Why doesn't he arrest him? Stick him in the White Council jail cells. Because he's not. Because that's not how the White Council works, and you're now arguing. No, you're you're coming up with a lot of excuses to not do the one thing you're so destined or so so predetermined to do. I don't. I don't want John Marcone. My goodness. The rage. The rage. (laughs) Slow down. Be less angry. Be more coherent. Th- that's rich coming from you. I'm not angry. I might not be coherent, but I'm not angry. That's what I mean. <laughs> yes, but your rage is preventing you from... I'm just being really condescending now, and it's great. Your rage is preventing you from being coherent. And so, by, and so you're struggling to put forward the arguments that you want to to me is great I'm, I'm, goodness, I'm you, you actually managed to, to just wriggle out that sentence didn't you? <laughs> I really struggled was, uh, yeah, was I thought you were going to fail at the last the last title there that went sideways so quickly where's my blood sugar uh, but <laughs> oh, you've always got that excuse don't you but no I, I think he is a very important part of the structure of life in the Dresden verse, I don't, I don't want to accept that though because it relies. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you don't want, and you never get your way. You should have learned by now. <laughs> That's sadly very true. I just dread to think of the alternatives, right? Unless we live in your weird fantasy world where everything's just sunshine and rainbows. There's no realistic way of getting there. I don't think you need to be John Marcone in order to look after Chicago. That's my point. That's my that's that that that's my core point, right? Yeah, but but the the part there's so much evil. Okay, shut up and let me talk. (laughs) Which we haven't said in a while. So you're interrupting me. (laughs) Yeah, I know (laughs) because I'm more important. (laughs) No, um, I've also forgot my point again. No, the, the the issue is that yeah, sure. If 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 we assume that John Marcone is the only source of evil in, in the entire tree of Chicago, then yes, he's an issue. No, I... The problem is that there is a lot of crime, like there is in any big city, and at least I think he does a better job of keeping a lid on it than Chicago PD. But you're for jumping example. around. I thought I thought we were arguing about protecting Chicago from the supernatural. Now you're talking about organized crime. Pick one. No, both. <laughs> but but it's, Harry is supposedly supposed. Harry was originally supposed to protect from the supernatural, but now he is the supernatural evil. So I think we can kind of That's uh, exclude that. And true. I think John Marcone serves two functions. I think he is the mortal anchor that acts as a protection against the supernatural world for Chicago, and I think he is also the thing that does that for the mortal criminal world. Right, if I, if I really want to be obnoxious about this and facetious, I will say that he's the single most important person in Chicago. But you know, I'm, I'm not sure I can go that far. You might as well, because that's basically what what you're saying. And I think well, that's basically saying, what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is basically what I'm saying. 
If you're saying he's important, I don't disagree with you. I just don't think he's necessary. Oh, I 100% do think he's necessary, because I, I don't see any alternative to him. But there's been, as, as the scenario stands. His, his, his very existence prevents the existence of an alternative, because... Oh, yes, and if he, gravity didn't exist, I could also fly, yes. You know, great. No, it's it's a necessary factor of his existence that he not permit a challenger, right? So we don't know what the alternatives are because it's a necessary component of Marconi's power that he snuff them out before they come become viable, which would include a Harvey Dent-esque white knight character committed to cleaning up Chicago because Marconi can't exist in a clean Chicago. He requires organized crime in order to function. Of course. And I don't think that a person, a individual like Marcone, who relies on the misery of others in order to maintain his position, is necessary to protect Chicago citizens from either organized crime or from supernatural crime. I fundamentally don't. I don't think that's proven in the text or in reality. Hmm, okay, but you're not offering any alternatives. No, and I, I, I've, I've dodged that question by saying that he, he isn't... Well, no, the supernatural alternative is Harry, firstly, and the, and the White Council actually doing their jobs. Except that Harry is or objectively he's... a much worse option. That's clearly not true he's he's literally a puppet of a non-human organization he's not a puppet that's the whole he's literally point. the bloody knight <laughs> lies mab cannot change who you are in black and white from a fucking archangel yes and he, she she doesn't need to change who he is because who he is is the winter knight <laughs> and no, i mean that that's... metaphorically he 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 was he was always going to become the Winter Knight because that is who he is confu- already. <laughs> that's the most confusing sentence you've ever written. <laughs> no, the reason Mab wanted Harry, Mab is not an idiot. She probably has lunch no, with Mister Sunshine at the same time that that bloody um, what's his name Odin does. She knows she can't change Harry, and yet she picks him anyway. Why? Because he already is the person who could be the Winter Knight. She needs him to be. Right, I think Harry is has the potential to be much, much worse than someone like John Marcone. But that's that's his potential. That's not who he is. And the, the oh, of course, it's who he of... is. He's far too emotional. It's the same. It's, it's the same reason why the Winter Court is in charge of defending the gates and not the Summer Court. It's logic over emotion. But the Summer Court is necessary, right? So. <sighs> Yeah, of course it's necessary, but they're not. But they're not the ones with like the power. (laughs) That's the winter court. Except Titania has the power to end Mab if she needs to, because that's the danger of pure rationality. Yeah, that that's again a logical fallacy. I think that Butcher has introduced, and I I don't really know how to handle that. Because yes, it's true Titania can do that, but in doing so, she will end the world. And you know what's the good of that? (laughs) It becomes necessary to do so if pure rationality takes Mab to a position where she goes, well, the best way to protect humanity is to kill it, right? It's the Skynet fallacy. 
Yeah, that's, a, that's I, a... I, I exist. To, I exist to protect humanity. Humanity is its own danger. Therefore, I kill humanity. Right? It's it, Titania exists as a counterbalance to Mab falling into the Skynet fallacy. Yes, and Marcone exists as a counterbalance to stop Harry Dresden from killing all of Chicago. There you go, folks. You heard it here. Somehow I've ended up arguing for the fact that Harry is the villain and John Marcone is the, as I call them, agonist. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely cannot work out how you can be arguing in favor of the man that employs drug dealers. And pimps. I just, I cannot. I fundamentally can't. Well, get as my opposed head to the man who used literal killer cats to to destroy the foe more. Yes. And what do you think Marcone's ultimate aim is? I guess that's the big question here. I don't know. I don't know what. Yeah, well, I, I'm trying to argue is. in the for him actually having some sort of decent ulterior motive that isn't just wealth now whether or not i'm right in that i don't know (laughs) his eyes are the color of old dollar bills (laughs) i think marcone's aim is power maybe but that's what he's doing he feels like too old to for for that to still matter why does he own senators then yeah but because he could equally just rest on his laurels and you know just not, I don't know, not fight the FOMO, for example, not set up the Brighter Future Society. Like, I, what, I guess ultimately what I'm trying to argue is that there's a lot more parallels between Marcone and, and Dresden than you seem to want to that. admit. And, and you, but no. you, for, for some reason, you seem to think that Marcone is fucking heinous, <laughs> whereas Dresden is okay, <laughs> whereas one is very obviously the wind tonight and the other is not. The other's a knight of the fucking blackened denarius. Yeah, fair you want play. To talk about being actually, a so so, so was Harry for nearly. <laughs> but there's a but but that nearly there is a world of difference, a universe. Yeah, but then of sure he 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 gave up the coin just to take up the winter nearly. mantle. Like you know, is that any better? Harry thinks so. He thinks yeah, Harry's an awful judge of character. And you yourself make the point that Mab is a creature of pure reason. So what's the danger of being a servant to the creature of pure reason? No, I'm saying there isn't one. <laughs> but all I'm saying is that it, it shows you what kind of person Harry Dresden is. The real test here is, have we ever seen Mouse interact with Marcone? We must have done. I can't remember. That's a phenomenally good question. They're in the same scene in uh, the book that's got Arc- the Arctis Tor fight in it. I can't remember which one it is. When Marcone doesn't Marcone come to rescue Harry? When Harry was when Mouse gets hit by a van. Sorry, I'm jumping around all over the place because I can't remember the name of the character. When Harry's captured by Vito Malvora and his like frog lawyer demon thing, doesn't Marcone rescue him? And Mouse is there. 
Duh, but is that Marcone himself? Or is it just Hendrix? I think Hendrix and Guard show up, don't they? Yeah, Marcone, Marcone rescues Harry a lot, you know. <laughs> he does. He does. It's kind of weird. Because he recognizes. Yeah, I think, I think we definitely have to approach this, this topic when I'm not raging. Because <laughs> I think it really impacted my loquaciousness. I think I think we need to revisit it. I think I think that's absolutely true. With, with prepared statements, <laughs> I think that might just actually that be the answer. I think that might actually be the answer. We always need to approach it as a as a, as a essentially a court case. Yeah, exactly. A little bit, uh, and judge John Marcone for for what yeah. he is himself, and because I mean, I, I I've you know I've done the old the old fashioned trick of likening him to another character. Um, and rel- relativity is always a funny thing. Yeah, moral, moral relativism, well done. Um, generally, not a great place to hang your hat. Let's 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 do that then. So throw it throw it back to to the audience first and foremost. Is it, unless we get a load of people telling us don't do that, that would be terrible. <laughs> I propose. In which well, case, ultimately, we'll anyway, it's. It's probably a hot take, right? I, it, I, I sort of feel that more people would be on your side, right, than than on mine. But it's, but it's a, I think it's a hot take where, but I, I think the style matters because my my suggestion is that I prosecute and you defend, right? Which, but that almost requires me to make the case and you to defend. If that, if that makes sense. So yes, it maybe occupies the hot take space, and we've got a hot take coming up at episode fifty-two, so we could do it there. But what would you think? What do you think? So I, I I make a a quick opening statement, and then you you make an equivalently quick opening statement, setting out what we're going to say. Then I I prosecute, you defend, and then we close, and then throw it back to the yeah. to the, the listeners to well, to yeah, I mean. As you say, let's let's throw it to the to the listeners, and we'll kind of see what side of the argument they come down on. You know, is is John Marcone fundamentally a good or a bad thing? And I guess the majority don't make it, don't make gets it to be the defense. Bad. Don't make it intent good or bad, is he? Oh, sorry, I, I I've interrupted you. What was your suggestion? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know what alternative words to use to good and bad because necessary is the wrong question because yes, there's no there's no denying that he is necessary. <laughs> um Nah, is can we necessary argue necessary or is he just necessary? No, I don't think he is necessary because I think I think almost by by arguing he's necessary, you dodged the question of whether or not he should be necessary. Yeah, but that has to be really tightly defined. Necessary at what at, at what point? As in now, from the beginning of the story, I, I almost as, think a, as just argument, a thing. <laughs> I almost think that my argument is that he's forced his way into necessity. Right, so he's not necessary at the start of Stormfront. He's just not. But mm. by battleground, he might be. But that's. That's, that's kind of because Harry more or less lets that happen, right? Because yeah, at the exactly. beginning of the series, Mark Owen is just 
his antagonist, and I think it's pretty clear. Like he's a gangster, Harry's a detective. He's just a, he's just a gangster. He's just the modern day Al Capone. Yeah, but even then, Harry does fuck all about it. Chicago PD does fuck all about it. Yeah. And here we are, <laughs> where now doesn't he's even, like, you know, the Baron. Doesn't even Murph suggest that he might not be the worst thing in the world? I might be misremembering. Even that. Murph. And, and I think Murph comes at this from a sort of... Quite a utilitarian know. perspective. Yeah. The streets are clean. This is essentially her point. And, and, I, and I think that's sort of where I'm probably coming from with this. Like, he's the evil you know, and ultimately the streets are clean. She makes this, She makes the same case about his brothel, doesn't she? The yeah. gym. Like, they get healthcare, they get checks, they're looked after, they're well-paid, etc. They can leave all of that. I'm sure Murph makes that case. So yeah, we, we can revisit this as, as a sort of court case style debate if that's what the oh, people want. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm keen to do that and I'm keen to do it with me me prosecuting and you defending from a sort of moral perspective. Because obviously obviously, there is no le- there's no point in having a legal fight because you know, neither of us are no, no, practicing trial think- lawyers. This is the point I was I was sort of trying to make when I mentioned good and bad, but I think that that is unhelpful, as as you say. I think the person who prosecutes is the one who's on the side of what the majority of the people think. I don't like so, that. So yeah, I know because you're afraid that you're in the minority. <laughs> I know. I, I as I said in my very first uh, hot take, I'm a lifelong holder of unpopular minority opinions i don't mind being in the minority i just no that's that's just a nice vignette that's easy for you to say but push comes to shove and you will crumple not because i'm in the minority just because i'm not that's fighting words right here (laughs) i'm not nearly as good at advocacy as i like to pretend i am (laughs) uh good all right so so we essentially done a whole episode that set up another episode. It's a whole episode of Sizzle. Well, folks, I mean, don't don't say we don't spoil you. <laughs> Goodness, so we've 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 badly introduced who John Marcone is. We've ba- barely covered what his relationship with Harry is. Um, we we haven't given, really said if he's a villain or an antagonist or if he's necessary. We've, <laughs> we've given just given a bit of background fluff. I actually don't know that there's time for them to complete the homework before we'd have to record the next no we can't we can't do this at episode 52 we have to give this more time nonsense cowardice you're probably but we, right. we can't we can't ask the audience and then release or record the episode before having asked the audience <laughs> that is acting in bad faith and you should be ashamed of yourself I was trying to work out if we'd need to do that or not. Let's 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 see if we can do it at fifty-two. But if not, we'll probably postpone the fifty-two hot take. Um, well, we've just released forty-six. We're recording forty-eight. Oh, gosh, you're getting real backstage access that's here. That's the mess I'm trying to do. So <laughs> forty-eight will come out when we release fifty. Oh, it would be it would be very tight given that it would be very tight because we should be three ahead. ahead. We should be we, we should be, be recording fifty, shouldn't we? Uh um, no, we should be recording forty nine. 
No, when, when 48 drops, we should be recording recording 58, 51. So it gives that us a week. It gives time. us a space. That doesn't give enough time. Of course it does, because when then we need to record 52 once 48 is already out. So actually it works out perfectly. It does work. Okay. Let's, It'll be let's fresh in everyone's mind. We need everyone. We need everyone to listen to this episode as soon as it comes out, which we're telling you an hour and ten minutes into it. It's really important. I mean, the idea that, that anyone is still listening this. after I forgot how to speak through rage. You just, you just <laughs> forgot how the English language works at one point. That was really impressive. I mean, in my defense, it is my third language, so, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Get wrecked. I think it's much to say to that. That is genuinely quite impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, if it helps, it's it's certainly the best of the three now. <laughs> I was going to say it might Sadly. be the third language, but it's also your mother tongue. <laughs> yeah, it's no. sort of morphed its way into that. Yeah, uh, but no, uh, yeah. If if you are still listening, and if you are, like, I mean, thank you so so much. It's really genuinely quite impressive, impressive of you. Um, but yeah, please let us know. Uh, I mean, Sean, Sean will give us the outro bit, but I'm just going to reiterate it anyway. Let us know on the various means through which you can get in touch with us uh, as to what side of this debate you stand on. Is yeah, what is John Marcone? That's that's as, about as well as I can formulate it at this point because I've I've lost the plot. Um, let us know what you think. Do you want to see John Marcone prosecuted or defended? Because if you want to see him defended, that might end up meaning that the prosecution is his defence, so to speak. Yes. And on yes, that right. convoluted and complicated bombshell. <laughs> By the way, just before we, before we go there, I think the idea of prosecution anywhere in the Dresden Files is so laughable at this point. I know. The only resolution in that series is just death. <laughs> well, Harry was prosecuted by the White Council. And he wasn't even there. He wasn't given a. He wasn't given the opportunity to make his own defence. So Ramirez had to do it for them, and then Ramirez had to be the guy to hand down the sentence. It's amazing. Talk oh yeah, with the White Council's a, a shit show. That's a whole. whole yeah, it is. That's what happens when your leader's also on the Black Council. Thanks for listening to this episode of Expertise wow. is Overrated. No doubt, we've said some things that were either objectively wrong or downright offensive. Yeah, just wow. pushing through. As ever, feel free to let us know, rate the podcast and leave us a comment, or drop us an email at expertiseisoverrated at gmail.com, tweet us at zero expertise, check out our website, expertiseisoverrated.podbean.com, or come join us on our Discord server. If you're lucky, we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes. And if you're really lucky, we might call you an idiot. Come back next time for some more absolute nonsense.